The following For the City Church sermon is part of our summer sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising, entitled Under the Sun from the Book of Ecclesiastes. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Yeah, good. Um, hey, so we are, we're going to finish up the book of Ecclesiastes. Some of you are probably sad. I think some of you might be happy to hear that news uh, because just this week I was, I was talking to a friend, Ruby, who is one of our missional community groups. She's not here this morning, but if she was, I would still say it. And it was funny. She goes, you know, Scott, you know, I'm really thankful that when you get up there on Sunday and talk about Ecclesiastes, that you work hard to make us not depressed. Now, that's, that's funny, but she gets it. If you've been paying attention in the book of Ecclesiastes, he has a pretty dark tone, pretty dark tone. And he's not a real cheery fella, but, but he gets it. He, he understands the mysteries of life at some level. And in some level, he's like, I don't understand anything, right? That's been the whole point as he's been walking us through this. And, and listen to how he ends. Imagine, so, his name is Koheleth. That's not really his name. He's a teacher. He's a gatherer. He's a preacher. He's been gathering people and he's been preaching all this knowledge and all this wisdom that he's collected along the way throughout his life. But listen, imagine, so preacher, this is how he finishes his sermon. Ready? This is his drop the mic moment. It's in verse 8 of chapter 12. Ready? Here's his conclusion. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Ruby got it right, right? This is, what a strange way. Could you imagine, like, you're waiting, like, is there, is there more? Well, actually, not from the preacher, which we thank God for the narrator, because if that's where it ends, this is like a 90s grunge band, and everything's very dark, right? Um, but, but it's not a 90s grunge band. It's the Bible, and so we need to be able to look at this. I think there's still a lot for us to learn from our friend Kohalath. He has more to teach us, but I actually want to start at the end and work our way back to verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, right? See, from beginning to end, this preacher's been working hard to pound home the point of this, that there's nothing new under the sun, meaning life apart from God, right? That's what he means by the phrase of life under the sun. He says, vanity of vanities. Not so much meaningless, it's vapor, it's smoke. You think you've got it understood, you grab it, and as soon as you grab it, it changes, it's gone. It's a mist, it's a vapor, it's a mystery. Every time I think I got it figured out, it changes on me. He says, all is vanity, and it's all the time vanity. That's his point. And so we end right back where we began. And, but, but not really, right? Who here likes roller coasters? Okay, I love roller coasters, right? I really do. As I get older, I don't love them as much, but, but I still love them, right? So last year, Jesse and I, we, we had an evening at Kennywood, and we got on one of those roller coasters, and it was dark, and I mean, as you get older, it doesn't, it doesn't really hit you the same as when you're a kid, right? Like, you get a little sick, but we did some loops, and we did some turns, and we did this and that, and we ended up basically right where we had begun, but not really, because we just got to experience this whole ride. That's kind of like Ecclesiastes. That's kind of like Ecclesiastes, right? He's taken us on this journey. And even though his conclusion is exactly where he began in chapter 1, and we've learned a lot along the way, and he's not done teaching. Like most good preacher, he just keeps wanting to go and go and go. So we've got two more chapters of this, right? Um, but hopefully, 
throughout our journey in Ecclesiastes, you've understood that there is a God who is sovereign over all things that happen under the sun, above the sun, in every space. There's not one place in all the galaxies or universe that, that God does not scream, mine. He, he, he places stars in the heavens. He knits babies in the womb. There's nothing that happens apart from his detail and also just from his involvement in all of his creation. He's not distant. He's very near. But if you've been paying attention, you also understand that, that what we learned from the beginning is what the, the preacher is saying, that if you've tried to find life and enjoyment apart from God in his creation, but not through the creator, there is no meaning to be had. Not ultimately. He, he would go on to say that nothing ultimately matters. Not wine, not women, not entertainment, not parks, not houses, not vineyards, not gold, not silver, not treasure, not power, not even wisdom, which is where he spent the last many, many chapters. Uh, there is a value to wisdom, but if your hope's in wisdom, it will never hold up to the weight of eternity. He's saying that there's nothing to be gained that word gained under the sun is very important. There's nothing to be gained in this life apart from God. But then the narrator chimes in. So we're going to start with the end and we're going to work our way back. All right? It's a little weird. I don't normally do that, but I think it's appropriate here. So, so let's look because the narrator reminds us something. He reminds us that there is a God in heaven who does rule the world, including the sun. Right, And so let's look at what he says in chapter 12, verse 9 through 14. Follow along. I'm just going to summarize a little bit of these pieces, and then we're going to jump right into uh, what Kohaleth has for us to, to learn. So he says, beside being wise, right? so you can tell there's a new voice here, he's talking about the preacher. It's not the preacher talking. Right? Besides being wise, so he's saying he is wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging Many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Right? So he's not just giving you cold, hard facts. He's saying things in a particular way that you it would arrest your attention. You might be able to hear in a different way. He's saying it eloquently, right? The words of the wise are like goads. Goads. Uh, a goad is a sharp stick that that basically shepherds would use to poke sheep or oxen or different animals to keep them on the path, right? So they don't fall off the cliff or so that they don't run off and get attacked by a wolf or anything like that. It's, a, it's not meant to cause you like harm, right? It's to keep you from harm. And listen, he says, the, the words of the wise are like goads. They might sting a little, but ultimately they're for your ultimate good, right? See that? Like, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by, look at this, one shepherd. One shepherd, capital S. Who's that? Jesus, let's say. God, right? His word, his word is like a sharp stick. I mean, it does inflict wounds in time, but it's to keep you on this narrow path that leads to eternal life. He says, my son, beware of anything beyond these. That's a good word for us. Beware of anything beyond the Bible. It doesn't mean you can't learn things. You absolutely can, and you better. If all you ever tried to do was learn the Bible, you would probably burn yourself. Because it doesn't talk about at what degree heat will burn you, right? It doesn't talk about not playing in traffic, right? Things like that. But when it comes to an ultimate sense, beware of anything beyond the Word of God. 
Because it is the only thing that's true. We live in a world of confusion right now, and everybody's trying to figure out what is true. But if you don't know ultimate and absolute truth, which is revealed in the Word of God, you'll not know. You'll not know. You'll maybe get it right sometimes, but most often you'll probably be wrong because even lies seem very appealing. Just ask Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Which is why we're going into Luke. Little, uh, that's next week. But a little segue. Luke wrote the gospel so that you might know the truth. That's what he says. And so we're going to take our time through that gospel. Um, but he says, beware of anything beyond these. He says, of making many books, there is no end. Right? And much study is a weariness of the flesh. That's every young person's favorite verse, right? It's like, why read these books? It's just wearisome. Well, he's not saying that. What he is saying is you can't figure everything out by reading every author. You don't know. So then he says this, look, the end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God, right? Be in awe of God. Fear him. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There's a life that comes after this. Right? We've heard Coalette dance around it, but he's saying it. One day the dead will be raised, and every person who's ever lived will stand before God and give an account for everything they've done. Good or bad, and everything in between. When that day comes, he'll reveal everything. You'll, you'll see it. You'll be there. You'll be there. Well, I don't want to be there. You have no choice. You will be there around this great throne. And this is why everything, listen, everything ultimately matters under the sun. Everything. There's nothing meaningless about your life. There's nothing meaningless about a particular day or a particular careless word that you might say. There is a sovereign God who rules over everything. And one day you and I will give an account. See, this is why the preacher has encouraged us to, to eat. That's a good encouragement. I don't need that encouragement. Sometimes I need the encouragement, hey, maybe you should skip a meal, right? But he's encouraged us to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in our work. He has told us that there's a time for healing. There's a time for harvesting. There's a time for laughing. There's a time for dancing. There's a time for sorrow. There's a time for love and, and making peace with people that you have conflict with. He's told us to rejoice in the overflowing abundant of God's goodness that he has lavished upon us because of his kindness and to enjoy the life that you have been given with the spouse or the wife or the husband that you love. There's abundant joy to be had under the sun when living life, here's the key, in the sun. When you receive everything as a gift and not seek to gain life from it. Oh, if you seek to gain life from the things that are gifts from God, you'll be ultimately and utterly depressed. Eventually. Now, for a while, it works, right? Like, I've said this before, but it really it serves us well to hear it again. You could not love Jesus and go out and have a filet mignon done properly, which means a lot of blood in it, right? Maybe not blood, but red. Lots of red, right? Enjoy a meal. Enjoy a good cab. Enjoy a cigar to the glory of God and enjoy it with your spouse and not recognize Jesus for anything and still enjoy that evening. But here's the problem. If you don't recognize it as a gift, you'll use that to try to get gain from it. You'll try to use that to get life from it. And when you do, you will suck it dry. And eventually, it will not satisfy you. It will not satisfy you. And therefore, it always terminates. 
Joy always terminates if it's just found in this creation. That's why we have to get above the sun, we have to get into the sun, and we have to realize that real life is found in God. And then all these other things are just the, they're the cherry on top. But even that, I just praise him for, because he could take it all away, and he's the one where infinite joy is found, right? I've used this saying before, but it's like two ticks, no dog. Get it, right? You're just trying to suck life out of each other. Now, you need a host. Now, I'm not saying God's our host, and we're ticks. What I am saying is what we do is we go to him to receive gift, gift, right? So, so what's the, the key to understanding it all? Life is about gift, not gain. Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. So let's go one last time. Let's see what these beautiful words that the preacher has to say. You guys ready? That's all introduction, but we'll fly through the rest of this maybe. Ready? Point one, rejoice in God and enjoy the life that he's given you. That's really where he finishes. It's, it's kind of where he began, right? But look at, look at 11 verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it Many days, after many days, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen upon earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north or in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Just a, a, a little summary. You and I don't know how to predict the future. That's it. That's, that's all he's trying to say. Now, he says a lot there, but that's all he's saying. You and I do not know how to predict the future. Therefore, listen, cast your bread upon the waters and just trust that it's going to make a return on you. Just live your life. That's what he's saying. Okay, let's move. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Ready? Summary? You and I don't know how to do what only God can do. There are mysteries in this life that we don't understand. You have to accept it. You can't, if you think, i got to know everything before I'll do anything, he's saying you'll do nothing. That's exactly what he's saying in this moment. He says, in the morning sow your seed, right? At the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether um, both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. He's saying you don't know how to guarantee success or avoid failure, right? You and I are not God. Oh, he's been saying that over and over. And when we try to be God, and when we try to control things and people and situations to get the return that we expect, we make a mess of everything, including ourselves, right? So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. In all of them. He's told us about many seasons. Not every season looked like it should be rejoiceful. But he says, no, rejoice in them all, even the ones that are trials and suffering and tears. You might have tears strolling down your eyes, but rejoice in them because you're still alive. Why? So there's hope. That was his point throughout like two different chapters. He's just summarizing everything. But let him remember the days of darkness will be many. Ugh. Did you have to tag that one on? He did. You, you've heard that. I don't need to explain that at all. If you've lived long enough, you know. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, O young woman, middle age or old. But he's really definitely talking to the youth right now. He's talking to the young people, right? And you're like, oh, well, this ain't for me. No, it's for you. 
It's for you as well. I don't care what age you are, but he's speaking specifically to people who have much of their life ahead of them if all goes well. Rejoice in them all. Rejoice in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. What's he saying? Life's fragile. Life is fragile. But God is faithful, so you can trust him and rejoice in the brokenness. That's what he's saying. Life under the sun is very fragile. I I know many of you, and you've told me your stories, and we've seen that. At some level, the future is uncertain. Now, in an ultimate sense, it's not, right? Especially for those who are in Christ. You know exactly what your future is. And in case you don't know, if you're in Jesus and you have trust and faith in him, then you have a very bright future. You have life with God now and forevermore, right? He will raise you from the dead, or if you're still alive when he returns, and he will give you a glorified body. It'll be one who will be able, it'll be a body primarily that's able to receive much more gift from him, which he is the gift, right? Your sight, your sound, all the senses, senses we probably don't even understand will be magnified in a way that's not affected by sin, because there will be no more sin for you, and therefore you will live with your God forever. He will press all the tears out of your eyes. There will be no more sorrow, and the tears that you caused, that I have caused, he'll press them away also, and it will be a day where there will be rejoicing fully, finally, and forever. So if you're in Christ, that's your future. But what he's talking about right here is he's saying, life is fragile here under the sun. You don't know what's coming tomorrow. Oh, how true that was for me when I got hit by a drunk driver and broke 18 bones. Oh, how true that is for for different folks who one day wake up and they have some aches and pains and they think, ah, it's probably just play a little hard at ultimate Frisbee and they come to find out they have cancer or they have MS, right? You know that life is fragile. You're one phone call away from your life drastically changing in ways you do not want to think about. And so he's saying that there's risk involved in life. But he's saying, don't let it paralyze you. <laughs> don't let it paralyze you, right? He, instead, stop your struggling and trying to control everything and gladly submit. Bend your knees, surrender to the God who's sovereign over all, and trust him with your life. Why? Because he's in control of all things. And he's good. He's good. He's in perfect control and he's good. Admit that you don't know, right? There, there's a freedom to that. I, I used to live a, in a particular season of my life where I thought I had to know everything. I quickly realized I didn't know much. And it was very freeing to finally admit that. You don't know. And you don't have to. You can trust the God who does. Right? Stop trying to control everything. Open your hands. Trust God. I'm not saying the little cliche, you know, cliche saying that some people would say. Do you ever hear this? Let go, let God. That's garbage. It really is. If you said it, stop it, because it's not a biblical thought. It's just not a biblical thought, because it assumes passivity. It assumes that I don't do anything. My marriage is a wreck. Eh, just let go, let God. No, get to work. What's work look like? Repentance. Seek to love your bride. Seek to love your husband, right? Ah, oh, my job's just, everything's falling apart. Let go, let God. No, Get on your knees, surrender, confess your sin, and now get up and seek to be faithful to the clear commandments of God. 
Yes, in one sense, you're letting go, trying to control the situation, but it's not a passive sense. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying trying to know the future or pretend to know the future is foolishness, not wisdom. So live your life. Essentially, Ecclesiastes teaches us two things more than anything. Ready? It's very simple. It's really what the Bible teaches. God is faithful, and we must learn to depend upon this faithful God. That's it. There's nothing more. No, there's a lot more, but it fits under that real nicely. Right? God is faithful. You and I must learn to depend on the faithfulness of this great God, which is why we must know the Word of God. You will not trust a God you do not know, and you do not know God if you do not know His Word. I promise you. You know a God that you've made up in your mind. It's a figment of imagination. You worship probably, if you're not careful yourself, because we love to make God in our image. Well, my God would never do that. Well, I, I don't know what God you're talking about, but the God of the Bible would do that. And here, I could show you. He's done that. Here, boom, look. Right? There's a, there's a song written, I just heard it yesterday for the first time in a long time. I think it was written by Depeche Mode. It was My Own Personal Jesus right? Jesse and I were singing it. But, but that really is the spirit of the age. My own personal Jesus. I got my own personal Jesus. He's in the back pocket. My Jesus, you know, it's kind of like the movie. It's an inappropriate movie. It shouldn't have came to my mind. There it is. Um, my Jesus is in the front row of a Leonard Skinner concert. And he's all jacked up on Mountain Dew. Woo! Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. So we must know God if we're going to trust him. You must know him. And it's beyond a, I know Jesus saved me. That, that might be where you begin, but you grow as you walk with this God. As you walk with this God, he reveals more of his goodness. Because when the dark day comes, you will know whether you know this God and whether he's trustworthy. And sometimes he'll allow dark days to come into your life just to show you how much you don't know. So you'll cling to your shepherd. Why? Because he loves your soul. More than he loves your comfort. That's what he's saying. So he's saying rejoice. Rejoice. Because we know this is true, because we know that our ultimate future is secure, because we know whose hand it is in, life is ultimately not fragile. We, talked, we had a sermon called Paradox. That is the paradox of the Christian faith. The truth is, this truth frees us to rejoice in God no matter the season, no matter the life we've been given. We can praise Him. We can rejoice I mean, I love the preachers using these words like smelling salts or goads. That's the one. But smelling salts to awaken us to the fact of the one thing. The one thing that's worse than either success or failure in life is really failing to live in the first place. You ever been there? If I just get through this season, then I'll enjoy life. If this would just happen, then I'll enjoy life. If this would just happen, then I'll enjoy life. And all the while your life is passing by you and you have no hope that any of those things will ever get better. So will you rejoice? That is the question. That is the question. Will you rejoice? E.E. E. Cummings said this, that being undead isn't being alive. I get it. Get it. Don't fail to live the life he's given you. It, it is true, just as the preacher said, we will have many dark days. Right? Suffering is inevitable if you live long enough. He's not being a Debbie Downer, by the way. 
for my friend Ruby and those who are thinking the same. He's really not. Instead, he's telling us to enjoy life as much as we can, as long as we can. And, and it magnifies Jesus. It magnifies him. When we worship the creator instead of the creation, right? So when suffering comes, you can magnify Christ in your worship of him, even though the situation is not what you want. Family, don't, don't take life for granted. Don't. Don't, don't complain about your problems all the time. I say that gently because because I'm just like you. I'm a complainer, right? I, I really am. You are too. And if you think, no, I'm not, you are. In, in the secret parts of your heart, you are. You might have controlled your tongue enough to not say it, but you and I, in a, if, if we could just peel back the curtain and look at the heart like God sees it, we're complainers. But don't. Right? Instead, seek to give thanks to God for every day, as long as it's today. Being a grump does not magnify Jesus. And I'm speaking to a, a grump who's saved by grace, me. <laughs> right? I'm a grump saved by grace. But, but each day, I seek to, to really not be a grump, but to be a holy, happy man who, who walks with the Lord. That's what I seek, right? Some days I think the Lord gives me just extra grace to do that. And some days I feel like I'm trusting myself and not him, right? That is the life of a believer. But we want to join the psalmist and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We want to join the psalmist in saying that, right? This starts, by the way, with refusing to feel sorry for ourselves. It's where it starts, Woe is me. No Eeyores. It's really not, right? You, you need perspective. You need perspective. I need perspective. We, we've used this illustration before, but you got the little seesaw, right? When worship's up, worry's down. When worry's up, worship's down. We need to lift our eyes off of our navel and onto our God. We need to be reminded of the good news of the gospel. We need to be reminded that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And if you're in Christ, then your greatest problem, which is, by the way, the wrath of God is removed, and it is no more, and there's only grace, mercy, and delight for you because Christ has done that and therefore rejoice worship him give him praise he's worthy and over and over all throughout the bible by the way we are listen commanded to rejoice to be happy and to find joy in our god don't skip over these commands you're like maybe you're thinking right now that might be a new concept to you by the way god commands joy and happiness and delight from us? You're absolutely right, he does. Over and over and over again. They're not optional extras for the Jesus follower. Enjoyment's a command. What a good God. Enjoy life. Okay. I, I, yes, Lord. Right? I, I want to do that. But I'm not right now. What's going on with my heart? That's a good question to ask, by the way. It's a great question to ask. In, in prayer time and in time with the word and in time with friends who know the word. These are not optional extras, right? God is serious about your happiness in him. Mark it. He wants you to enjoy the life he's given you with him. With him. By the way, he'll allow suffering to come into your life to pry your hands from the things you think will bring you the ultimate joy your heart desires because he's a good father and he knows that won't do it. And so he'll pry them open. 
if he has to, until you just say, joy's been in front of me all my whole life, and I've been spitting in your face. Oh, Father, forgive me and return the joy of my salvation with you. I'll make my heart happy in you. I will rejoice by faith, even though my heart right now doesn't feel it. Your feelings are a liar at times. You rejoice. Why? Because God's commanded you to. And many times your emotions will catch up with what is absolute reality. That's his point. Look, by the way, listen, God is very serious about joy. Listen to, it's shocking what Moses says in Deuteronomy 28, 47. When he tells the people of Israel that the curses of the covenant will befall upon them. Listen to why. Ready? Now, Moses was a preacher, and here's, here's what he says. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. That's why the curses are coming. It's not because you didn't do the thing. They did the thing, but they didn't do the thing from the heart. This is a real problem in, in, in the Bible, and in, in, in I would say in evangelical Christianity right now. We just trudge along. Right? I don't want to be here, but apparently this makes God happy, so I'll just do the thing. Oh, no, he says, listen, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Can I just tell you right now, as I've been reading Ecclesiastes, I've been thinking, we have access to greater food than Solomon ever did. Oh, it's a fact. Way better wine than would have been available to him at that time. I don't even know if he had cigars, right? Um, <laughs> filet mignon, no way, no way. You're like, oh, no, it would have been better then. <laughs> wrong. You're just so wrong. And he rejoiced in those things. And we're like, well, I just need something better. No, you have abundance of life in front of you right now. Well, we did five years ago back when, you know, even in a downturn, you're living high on the hog. Can I just be honest? And so am I. If you have a, a bed and a pillow to lay your head on, you're killing it. You're killing it. You've got some food in your belly and some clothes to throw on, which you all do. I can tell by looking at you. None of you are malnutritioned. And I don't say that to be ignorant. I'm just saying I've seen people in other countries that don't have food to sustain their life. So you're eating. Clean water, we talk about, oh, I don't want tap water. I need the Berkey thing, right? <laughs> that wasn't intended for anyone. We have a Berkey, and I make fun of it at times. It was a little spaceship canister, right? But even our tap water, we talk about it's not that clean. It's really good because I can drink it, and I won't die. Abundance of joy. Where's God? I'd be happy if. Oh, forgive us, Lord. Douglas Jones beautifully argued in an essay. Listen to what he says. He says, Christian cultures have failed throughout church history, not primarily because insufficient theological education or poor doctrine or inadequate evangelism or weak leadership, but because of a lack of joy. I like that, but I disagree with him. Sorry, Doug. I don't even know Doug. But here's what I would say. I agree with that with one caveat. All of those things are about theology and doctrine. 
Because see, lack of joy is a theology problem. Lack of joy is a doctrine problem. And, and here's what you've got to understand. Lack of joy does affect evangelism. Lack of joy does affect leadership. Why? Because the best thing Kevin Giddings and I can do for you as two of your pastors is to make our, do everything we can to put as much, let's say, kindling around the heart and ask God to set it ablaze for him every day because you need happy pastors that are happy in the Lord because if not, we will not be able to feed you from something we've not been fed from. It is a great responsibility to be happy in the Lord the best you can. And admit when you're not. I'm not saying some easy believism. Like, you know, we walk around like little dwarves, like, oh, hi-ho, hi-ho, I love Jesus, yeah. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying when I'm not, I confess it and I make war. I make war on the fact that my heart does not desire God. I don't passively wait for some magical moment to get struck by the Holy Spirit. It's not how he works. I come before the throne of grace and I lay out my heart before him and I say, I am not delighting in you. Oh God, make my heart delight in you and show me what it is that's causing me to, to sit here in my self-pity when I should be rejoicing. Help me rejoice and confess to a friend that you trust with your heart and let them pray with you. Let them pray for you and then trust that the Lord will bring mercy because his mercy is new every morning and he is a God of full and steadfast love. His love never ceases. He'll meet you there. But if you keep on pretending with the big old fake smile that everything's good and everything's not good in the heart, expect he'll leave you there and he'll bring something to pry that ugliness out of your heart. Why? Because you have a good father who loves you and me, and we need him, right? We, we worship the God of all joy. Do you think like that? Listen to what he says in Psalm 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. Listen, you have access right now because you have the word of God to the path of life. Spoiler alert, it's life with Christ, okay? You have made known to me all Christians can say that, right? If you're not in Christ right now, you may not know. I'm trying to tell you. Oh, Holy Spirit, awaken that person, if they're here, to the situation that they find themselves where they're trying to find life in creation, not the creator. The path of life is clear. And in your presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. You and I can't imagine fullness of joy. Oh, how I try. I want to. There will be a day I do, right? Fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If a God who wants his children to be ready, happy. He wants you to enjoy the life he's given you. No matter what it looks like, because there's a life to come that you and I can't imagine. But life starts now, the moment you're with Christ, not when you die. Oh, what a lie that is. You, you have, Jesus Christ is as close to you, actually closer to you than your very own skin because you have the gift of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you, which he is the God of infinite joy. You have access to joy in the midst of trials. God's committed to this joy. Therefore, listen, to not live gladly, joyfully, to not drink deeply from the fountain of living water it's sin. It's sin because it's, it's a denial of absolute truth. 
It's, it's a denial of absolute reality. Now, thankfully, those who are in Christ, all your sin is covered. But don't use that as an excuse to continue in sin. All your sin is covered as far as the east is to the west. You're as white as snow. But it's an offense to God. Imagine the God of all joy lavishing life and love and grace and mercy upon you. And you are just like, nope. It's an offense to a holy God. Now, thankfully, we have a God who's taken all that offense and he's poured it out upon his son, not upon you. Actually, your God right now even rejoices over you and sings over you, as Zephaniah tells us. He is so for you even when you're a grump. His mercy abounds. His grace abounds. He, la- he actually, in that moment, such a good father that he'll lavish more love upon you to just make you see, oh, okay, not happy with me? Well, how about this? Boom. He just give you more love. Problem is our unbelief. Oh, I believe that, but oh, God, help me believe that. I know that's reality, but, but I don't believe it's like reality, right? That's point one. We have 10 minutes for the next two. We're going to go a little bit long. It's okay. Um, we, it's, it's the last one, right? It's okay. Look at point two. I get it from Ecclesiastes 11.10. He says, remove folly, worry, and all sin from your life. That's my point. But I think it's so clearly seen within the text. Remove vexation. By the way, a vexation, who uses that word? Uh, Is any problem that causes us to worry and have anxiety that leads to anger or grieves and irritates us? Anybody here got some vexation in life? Oh, you're all liars, except Gabe. I saw that hand, right? Right, like, we all have vexations in our life. We have anxieties. We have worries. They lead us to then be angered and grieved or irritated, right? Come on. I'm going to spend all week with you guys this week. I'm going to prove you have it. I'll give you some if not. Um, (laughs) What's (laughs) my wife's back there? Right? Like, what seeks to rob you of joy? God commands that you work to remove it. Now, let's be careful here, right? Because you're like, finally, whoa, looking at your spouse, you're gone, right? Like, he's not commanding that. Look at your kid, and you're like, you've caused me a little bit of vexation. You're out of here, right? My friends, my job. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that at all. But he is saying you need to work hard to eliminate anything in your life that troubles your body or your heart if it's clear you're not commanded to maintain, to care for, and to nurture it. What might that be? I'm not going to be your Holy Spirit. But it, it could be it could be something as simple as a Netflix show. It, it, could be, it could be food. It could be all sorts of things, right? Um, there's really no end to the list of things that can cause us trouble, right? Uh, for each one of us, by the way, it's different, right? It's different. What causes one to be anxious and worry may not be a thing for somebody else. You know, though. You know when it happens. Like, life is full of this kind of vexation, right? Physical pain. How do I remove that? Well, you really can't. That's the problem. You really can't. There's things you can do to try to take steps, and you should. It might still be with you. Disease, right? Disabilities, money issues, relationship issues, government, on and on. A lot of those things we don't have control over, but you and I do have control over some of those things. 
And so therefore, we should remove it. I'll give you a real quick story. I used to listen to a talk radio show in my, my, my car when I would return home from work. And it, whew, this guy, he fired me up in all the wrong ways, right? And I would just like, I'd come home and I'd be already like flustered. Jesse and I weren't even married at this point. Like, I would just be like high anxiety, anger, ugh, seething. And okay. And just like, why do you listen to this garbage? Every, every time you listen to this guy, you're always like angry. Do you just like to be mad? I'm like, I kind of do, right? I, I got two temperatures, right? And, and, and that was one of them. And she's like, oh, oh, just turn it off. And I'm like, mm, okay. But like a little attic, I'd go back each day, turn it on and get all mad again. So she's like, you should really be praying about this. And this was, I mean, this is, I just got saved. I was so born again, I was still wet. Like, <laughs> I didn't even understand the idea of doing that, of praying about it to get rid of something. It's like, it's not a big deal. It's not sin. She's like, yeah, but it's not wisdom, right? So she started to pray. So long story short, we had to change the battery in this Ford Explorer. So my dad and I changed the battery. Guess what? When we put the new battery in, everything worked great except one thing. That station didn't come on. Now, that's never happened to me much more. So don't think that voodoo kind of stuff happens all the time. But I'll tell you this right now, that's as true as true can be. And the Lord just said, you just can't get it cared for. I'll care for it. Okay, I had no more access to it. This is before podcast. There was a time. That was true. Um, <laughs> and so there I was. I couldn't get the radio station that I thought I needed to live. And it was gone. And a few months later, uh, my peace, man, it was way better. And I got a new car. And guess what? I never went back to the station. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, right? What is it that causes you vexation? Get rid of it. Just to be clear, there's some things you can't simply remove. You can't, but you have to work through it. There is a call. This isn't a call to deny reality. That's not what it is. He's not, he's not calling us to deny the very real present suffering that happens within this world. He's not saying that. But he is saying there's some things you could get rid of that do nothing to increase your joy in Christ. Get rid of them. That's what he's saying. It's a, it's a call to take care of our mental, our, our mental, physical, and spiritual health. Right? I'm not a big holistic preacher. I just like to preach the word. But I'm telling you, that's what he's saying. And, and there is a, a, a whole, that's such a buzzword, a holistic approach to life with God that, that leads to longer lasting joy. And ends up eternal joy. For instance, body. We're bodies. So move them. It's a good thing. Take a walk, right? Take a walk around Twin Lakes. I like to do that at least once or twice a week with my wife and our dog comes too, right? But it's good for your mental and your physical self. Ask yourself, right? Like mind, right? We're, we're body, we're mind. Read things that cause you to think deeply upon the grace of God read things, listen to, to sermons, listen to podcasts, do something that causes you to like work your brain and bring about happiness. For instance, chess, if you like chess. Right now I'm on a Tetris kick. I'm killing it, by the way. 270,000 points. Try to beat me, right? Soul, we're, we're mind, we're body, we're soul. Soul, commit daily to times with the Lord. Daily devotions, worship music, whatever it is, memorize scripture. I have a couple of guys in here right now that are working hard to memorize scripture and they're finding joy in it, right? Um, 
quiet times. And, and I, I don't always mean like quiet times, like I just got to get alone and just like, um, I'm not talking that. You could take a walk by yourself, quiet your heart, quiet your mind, think upon the goodness of God. Think about a, a text. Okay, God, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to be happy in you. Reveal to me the things that are causing me to not trust you and so that I may have the grace to turn from them and turn to you, right? Now get some time with him. Create margin in your life to do that. If you're too busy, that's a problem. Maybe you need to remove that because you're not so important that you have to be on 24-7. You're not God. Take a day of rest, Scott Rising, right? Find moments to do this. Ask yourself right now, what kind of person do you want to be in 10 to 20 years, 30 years, if the Lord allows you to live that long? I thought about it this week. If the Lord allows me to live that long, if he's gracious to give me another 20 years, 30 years, I really do hope to be a happy, holy guy who the, who's the older person in the room that, that has some wisdom, right? He's full of hope and, and that he's trusting the Lord and, and that the, the strength of the Lord is, is really the joy of the Lord in my life, right? I have the joy of the Lord, which gives me strength each day, knowing that comes from the Holy Spirit because I want to be full of the Spirit right? I want my life to be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Have I arrived? No. Have you? No. Which is why I'm so glad that the Lord said he's faithful to bring completion to that which he began. He's at, listen, if you're in Christ, he's at work in you. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. But you're not some passive person who waits to get zapped. We work with him. We work with him. There are things we need to do. If that's your desire, then what steps do you need to take? Right? What steps do you need to take? What is it in your life must go for the sake of joy? My encouragement is to fight the good fight of faith. And that will take much grace and mercy. All right. Last point. We still have a couple minutes even. We might do this thing. Ready? Remember your God and keep his commandments. See it in chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the day of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure. Right? Um, the, the, the preacher's last words are, like I said, mainly for young people, although I got to tell you, it's probably the older people who will actually understand it. Right? Some of you young ones will, right? Because wisdom doesn't have an age. It's a gift from God. Um, but to remember our Creator is to live our whole lives for Him. By the way, if you're new to For the City Church, that is our aim as a body of people. We exist. The reason this church we've been seeking to plant is we, we want to live for the sake of magnifying Christ. We want our lives to bring into reality the greatness, the grandeur, the beauty, the enorm... I'm about to make up words. Uh, better quit. <laughs> I do that, though. Um, enormity? I don't know if that's a good word. But of God. And we don't make him big. We want our lives to show and reflect his greatness in how we live. So that, so that I'm not like a, a, a you know, a microscope, which makes something very small big, 
We want to live our lives like a telescope, which makes something big come into sight for people. That's how we want to live. In everything we do, not just on Sunday morning, not, not just at missional community groups, but in everything we do, whether we eat, drink, or we play, whatever we do, all things, we want to do things in a way that magnifies Him. We decrease, He increases, right? And, and how we seek to do that as a church is by making disciples, distinct disciples, disciples who will share and show the transforming power of the gospel, lips and life, the way they speak the Word of God to people and the way the Word of God has affected themselves to the point it changes behavior. We don't change behavior to get saved. We are saved. Therefore, the Holy Spirit begins to do this work in us to make us more like Christ. And we believe if we do that long enough that God will indeed plant this church, but then it will grow. And in that moment, we will have a decision to make. And we've already made a decision. And if you don't like it, now you know. We're not going to go in debt and buy a big building. What we're going to do is we're going to seek, and I'm not even saying that's wrong. If that's good for your church, great. But for this church, we're going to seek to then plant churches that multiply. I'm not saying we'll never have a building because eventually we're going to outgrow this. Look around. This is on Labor Day weekend, right? It's full. It is full. If all our people showed up today, there would be seats that we'd have to add to the service. Praise God. So there's going to come a day we're going to have to actually have a different location. And it might be a little bit bigger, but that will be the pit stop. It will be done because we're not going to then at that point say, well, now we've got to get a place that will hold 500. We won't do that. We will not do that. If I'm alive, we won't do that. Now, if I die, I can't control that, right? Hopefully they won't either. What we'll do then is say, Lord, give us, give us a church planting man and let's send him with a handful of people and do this thing again wherever he's already at work. That's, that'll be our plan. That'll be our prayer. And we'll come alongside them. And we'll encourage them. And eventually, they'll be their own church. They'll be their own church. We won't have, we will support them the best we can in every way. But our hope would be that they would become an autonomous people in that city, in that town, because they're going to need to do things differently to reach the people that they are seeking to reach in that moment. Does that make sense? I don't even know where we got that from, but there it is. Um, remember, listen, to remember our creator is to live our whole lives for him. That's how. This church body seeks to do that. It's to be mindful of Jesus in every circumstance, including all our plans, praising Jesus for all his blessings, right? Praying to the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, that our lives would magnify him. Do you remember Jesus in all you do? It's a question that you should ponder. Here's a good gauge. Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you love? I don't know. Sure you do. Sure you do. You absolutely know. Think about your time, your talents, right? Where do you, look at your calendar. You'll know where you're devoting most of your time. Oh, I have to work a lot. Okay, how about your money? How about your money? If you could look at your money, you'd see what you love, right? Are you generous with it? Do you give? Do you give? Or do you just receive? I got to have more. Like Mr. Krabs, money, 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 right? Like, what is it? What is it? Because I'm telling you right now, unless you've somehow arrived, there's something in there. I guarantee that's a vexation. 
that you treasure more than Christ. Because I got to tell you, spoiler alert, you and I are going to live lives until Jesus returns or we die of, ready, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. None of us have arrived. <laughs> and that's really what Koalath's been saying since the beginning. You get it, some of it, some of it you don't. Hang in there, keep working, right? All of these things can be gifts from God. It's ultimately, ready, a worship problem. And that's where it ends. It's a worship problem. It's the same problem Adam and Eve had in the garden. They wanted to be like God. Guess what? You and I, not much different. We want to take the things that God gives and make them God's. We want to worship the creature and not the creator. And when you do that, life under the sun is miserable. But when we receive them from our good God, who is our creator and the shepherd of our soul, as gifts, not gain, as gifts, holding them with open hands, then all of life can ultimately be one big blaze of worship that just gives thanks to a great God because we don't deserve any of it. What we deserve is the wrath of God. And he, in his kindness, sent his son to die in our place to absorb the wrath of God so that he might be able to lavish upon you love, grace, and mercy and adopt you into his family, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that Jesus Christ has done in your place. His life for your life, his death for your death that you deserve because of our sin against this great God, triumphantly resurrecting from the grave and now eternally ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father and mediating the relationship between a holy God and a sinful humanity. And now we're not known primarily for our sin. We're known because we're adopted blood bought children who he just delights to lavish love upon and give more of himself so that your joy would increase forever more that's the point of ecclesiastes and you better get it why because he's got one last poem and then we really are done ready ecclesiastes 12 2 through 8 the reason you better get it is because you're going to be dead soon and he says it much nicer than that in a poem Ready? Uh, just the, the beauty of this language is unreal. Ecclesiastes 12, 2 through 8. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day where the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent. <laughs> they were strong, upright. Now they're like this. That's how I feel in the morning and afternoon, some of the evening. I got about an hour in the late afternoon I feel pretty good the grinders cease because they are few see by the way some people think grinders that's teeth right you're losing your teeth can't even chew um, I don't know if it's true but the point is this he keeps going and those who look through windows he thinks that's eyes they're dimmed your eyes are getting dim the doors on the street that your ears are shut when the sound of grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird <laughs> the littlest things awake you and you can't go back to sleep, right? And all the daughters of song are brought low. They're afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. What a sad day. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, he's talking about life. The golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain. The wheel broken at the cistern. 
and the dust returns to earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Ready? One last time. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Well, these are the sober realities of life and death. Everyone has to face it here in this fractured world. So, remember your creator before it's too late. And remember that the final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters, but ultimately that everything does. Why? Because you and I have life in the Son, and therefore we can rejoice in its many blessings. Let us be a holy, happy people for God's glory and for our good and for the good of the city. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for salvation. God, I pray right now that you would just reveal to my friends anything that might cause them vexation in their life that they actually can remove, that would please you if they removed it. Any sin that clings closely to them. Because sin does not bring about the joy it promises. It brings about sorrow and death. So may we cast it upon you. May we run from it and run to you where we can receive grace and mercy and help in our time of need. God, help us to be a wise people. Help us to be a people who remembers our creator in every step, in every moment of our lives. Holy Spirit, help us. Oh, how much help we need. As I read this, this word, as I think about my life, as I think about the years that may remain, may, may I and may the people of For the City Church gladly lay our lives down in glad submission in a way that brings about honor and fame for the name of Jesus Christ here in this city. May more and more people come to know and to love the God of all joy, who is Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.